Amen. I love those songs in which we get pointed toward and directed toward the greatness of God. It is what settles me. I don't know about you. I can appreciate a song that tells me what I have in Christ or what I have from God or what I have because of God. But there is nothing that replaces a song that talks about God himself. I'm hoping that is something that would be for you. I want to ask a question. What would it be like if every time you talked about your loved one, whether your husband, your wife, a good friend, a son or a daughter, all you talked about was what they give you? Man, can you imagine that? That the only thing that person ever heard about why you loved them was what you gave to them. And what that would transmit to them is the moment I stop giving, you stop loving. And then what we really don't have is love. We actually have something different. And so, so it is with the Lord. He loves to hear his children talk about him just as much as parents you love your children to talk about you as a matter of fact his 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 desire is pure sometimes for us we find our approval in what our kids say about us see but god knows who he is and is settled in who he is but he loves when his children speak the truth about him and so for you and i i encourage you as you go through your week man Find yourself talking about your father, if God is indeed your father. Find yourself saying the truth, because the world is saying so many other things about him. Find yourself speaking about God truly, because someone and somebody, boy, they are surely manipulating his name telling lies about him, trying to convince you of someone he's not. And the Bible is clear about who he is. As a matter of fact, we see it repeated all throughout his pages. It doesn't change. And so this morning, I hope that you become infatuated with God. We're going to continue in Matthew chapter 10. Last week, it seemed like it was hard. I'm sorry. This week is going to be just the same. Jesus, after he came off that mountaintop and he was telling them what the kingdom is and was like, and then he began to demonstrate it. The king begins to demonstrate that he is indeed the king of this kingdom that is dawning, coming, although it hasn't fully arrived, that, that, that he gives them everything. I like this. He gives them everything. See, here's the, here's the problem I have at time with sales pitches. You don't tell me. The other side of it, you don't, you don't give me some of the things that can happen that I may not like because you may think I may not want your product. That's not God. God will tell you what to expect, whether it's going to be good tasting or hard to swallow. God's going to tell you what life in him is like because he wants you prepared he doesn't want you entertained. He wants you to stick around. He doesn't want you just up front. He wants you to know what you're getting into. He doesn't do the bait and switch. 
And so this morning, as we look at Matthew chapter 10, we continue to, and we read through it, we talked about persecution will come in the mission, but then now what Christ gives us is how do we respond? How are we to respond as we are struggling through or as we are either suffering um, under persecution in this particular case or as we are suffering under just dealing with life in the sinful world? What is our response to be? He has demonstrated and he will demonstrate through the rest of his life how you are to handle it, but he is giving them clear and specific instruction as to how they are to respond. He gives them a warning, but then he tells them about rewards. He gives them a warning, but then he tells them about rewards. Remember, he has gone through and he has said, boy, persecution will come. And he was talking to them as dear children. And he was telling them, boy, the world I'm sending you out into, the world that I am sending you directly to, wants to destroy you. Remember sheep in the middle of wolves? That's what we talked about last week. Sheep, he said, it wants to rip you to pieces. It wants to eat you alive. It wants your destruction, and so I'm sending you there. Boy, if that's not confidence, I don't know what it is. God says, I don't care where I send my children, I can keep them. And so he tells them, pay attention to a person who tells you what they're going to do and then do it, knowing that the opposition can be steep. This is football season. That's like an offense telling the defense their play and say, now stop us. See, the issue is God was letting everyone know what the mission was, and he was letting everyone know what the environment would be, and he sends them out knowing they could be kept. That's the kind of God we serve. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 26. Let's stand, please. If you don't um, have it quickly, you can turn in the centerfold of your bulletin. We're only going to read up to verse 33, or I mean, although we'll be looking at more. Give a moment. Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 to 33. If you want to read together with us, we're going to read from the centerfold of your bulletin. Let's read together. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men... I also will deny before my Father 
who was in heaven. Father, as we read and as we get into your word, may you give us wisdom that we may live according to your plan and desire as a result. This is in Christ's name we ask, amen. You may be seated. Last week we saw in this fact that persecution will come, Jesus was warning us, he was preparing us, he was telling us so that when it came, you would not be surprised. That's like you getting a preview. Why do they do college tours and college previews and classes and you talk to people that are either in college or who have gone for those who are seeking to go? One of the reasons they do that is because they're trying to prepare you. You are going to get slapped in the face with college life and they want to temper the slap. They, hey, it's going to change. Something's going to be different. When you get there, it's not going to be like high school. And you've heard that now. Some of us, we have heard from several people and we think they're joking. We got there and then we realized, boy, that slap came hard. For some of us, we prepared ourselves. We listened to people. And boy, that slap wasn't as tough. I said, I heard, I knew it was coming, so I prepared myself, but you can't fully prepare it. It's like that in anything new that you venture into. I remember hearing from it from my friends and, and, and family that were married before I was. They told me, I remember one of my older brothers told me, boy, you better be a person of prayer early. He said, pray now with your girlfriend. Learn to pray now with her so that when you get married, that prayer is not something that is new to y'all. That brother had wisdom. Levette and I prayed, but we ain't pray enough. Because <laughs> we had to get used to this new life as we lived together. Growing up in different homes is enough, but then growing up in different parts of the country and growing up in different parts of the city and, and, and having seen different things. I was right in the middle of urban Brooklyn, New York. She was right in the middle of suburban Chicago, and boy, the two met. And man, I just remember going, we are, who is this alien I decided to marry? <laughs> As I sure that she was saying that to me. The issue was, though, hearing from the people that we heard from, hearing from those that spoke to us, prepared us some. That's why you do premarital counseling, hopefully, is that you're preparing yourself for what's coming. And for those in parenthood, you heard people talk about it. And I was like, come on, man. Hey, when you become that parent, here's what's going to happen. Or when you become that adult, have that conversation, yeah, you love the freedom, but responsibility is walking hand in hand with it. It all falls on you, partner. You know, turn around and look at mom and dad. Now, you may look and they may help some, but it's on you. I told many of you, I remember asking my mother one day, what is it that you wanted me to do? She said, it didn't really matter to me. She said, two things I wanted for you. I wanted for you to be walking with Jesus faithfully and strength and to have a job that can support yourself because you ain't coming back here. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I got that message. The issue was there was preparation. And Jesus is giving the disciples preparation. And actually, we are reading them writing about it. As we know, this is not in real time. They're not writing as they go. They were writing as they reflected. 
and having lived through this and having realized that Jesus was right, man. Dude, what he said is actually what's happening. And what he said would happen is happening. And so when they started to suffer, we hear in the book of Acts that when they were flogged and beaten because they were told not to preach and they were like, okay, I'm sorry, uh, you might carry some weight, but we really got to listen to God. You don't carry that much weight. So they went back out and preached and then they got beat for it. And then it says that they rejoiced. I've asked some of them, when was the last time you rejoiced when you got your butt beat? And rejoiced that I suffered. They said, why? Because they counted themselves worthy to suffer. Where did they get that from? Preparation. Jesus told them it would happen. And so when it happened, they realized, hey, this is just as Jesus said. Dude, we are right in line with what God wants. But then for us today... We've kind of flipped it. We've added to it. We've given some stuff to where now we get mad if we suffer. Persecution comes. We think God has done a disservice to us. We go a little Job on God. We call him to the carpet. I know Job stood well, and he ended well, but in between, Job lost a little perspective. And he called God out, and God was like, oh, you calling me out. You need perspective, son. And again, I don't believe as we read the end of Job that God was thumbing him in the ground. God was like, obviously, you don't know who I am. And that's when you get the chapter where he says to Job, where were you in? He wasn't putting Job in the corner and just yelling at him. Job lost his perspective and God was giving it back to him. By showing Job who he is. And for you and I today, God is preparing us for the hard times and has given us his word. And when it happens and, and we start calling out God and start saying, what are you doing? Do you understand what's happening? And God says, you've forgotten who I am. And I need to help you understand where were you when? Or he'll take you on a remember when like he does to me. Remember when you called on me that time because you messed up so much and almost lost your life? Yeah, you still here, aren't you? Oh, yeah, God, you did come to my rescue. That's right. And remember when. God will do that to you. And these disciples are standing here today, boy, going, remember when. And so Jesus comes and says to them, look, persecution's going to come. Understand you are not greater than the master, that a slave is not greater than his master, that a, that a student is not, that a disciple is not greater than the teacher. He says, understand that. And so he tells them, if they treat me like this, how do you think they're going to treat you? And then he shifts gears. And when he shifts gears, he's telling them a reason. And he's telling them not to fear. Here's what's going to happen. Don't be afraid. Stand bold. And he gives, first thing is, in this whole, um, um, how do you respond to persecution? He gives you three reasons not to fear. Three reasons not to fear. The first one we actually saw was from last week. When he says that you are, you are being treated, you are just like me when you suffer. 
You are just like, don't listen to those that say if you come to Jesus, it's all good and you'll never suffer again. That's not like Jesus. Yes, you'll have some good times and you can enjoy them because your sense of purpose is rooted in who he is, not in what you have. And so he says, you are just like me. But then the second point that he gives us when he says, do not fear them, is verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing covered that will be... For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say and proclaim, and what you hear uh, whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. He says three reasons not to fear. First one is you're just like Jesus. Second one is he says, I know everything. In other words, don't worry about those things that are lying in wait or that are hidden that you don't understand and that you don't know. I'll make them known at the right time. Even if the right time is when you stand in eternity, he says, I'll make them known. Don't worry about not being able to figure it out. Don't worry about not understanding why it's not this way. Don't worry about God. I really need an answer. He says, I know you do, but I don't want you to fear because you don't know. Because many times for you and I, we fear the unknown. When I don't know what's going to happen, boy, I put and I make up a whole lot of stuff about what can happen. And most times it's not good. He says, don't fear them. I know you don't know what's coming, but I do. There is nothing hidden that is not revealed. I see everything. I know everything. I will determine what needs to be determined. You are in good hands. There is nothing that surprises me. God has no plan B. There's only A. Because he controls whatever he wants to do, he accomplishes it. Here, newsflash, even if you don't want to be included in it. God says, I will accomplish it. And so the second reason he says not to fear is that I know everything. And because he knows everything, he tells you to draw in close. I love this. I I, I love this part because he says what you hear in the dark, speak out loud. What on earth does that mean? A couple things. What you hear in the dark. That dark could be what you hear when you are in private and when you are quiet, but it can also mean what you hear when you are walking through darkness. Boy, because for you and I, sometimes God has our full ear when we are walking in the darkness. God has our full attention when we are walking through darkness. You are sometimes at your sharpest when it is the darkest. 
I'll never forget, boy, being angry one time. The signs in New York, they've changed now. The signs in New York, you used to have to have a degree in logistics to understand the parking signs in, in Manhattan, when to park and when not to, and when to park and when you couldn't. You could park on this side, but that's... A, seriously, they've now simplified them, but they used to be pretty deep. And I remember I read the sign wrong to my detriment. I was a youth pastor and, 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 and wasn't making a lot of money anyway, so I was going to one of the, one of the high schoolers had a concert in Manhattan with their high school, and so I went and I met up with some other people, and we, and we came out, and as I was coming, all I saw were a row of tow trucks on the block where my car was parked. And I, was, I had promised to give another one of our volunteers a ride home. And so she was there, and older woman, and I went to run. I was like, oh, my goodness, if my car is... And as I ran up the block, I saw my car going around the block, but I wasn't in it. <laughs> and there was another tow truck driver there hooking up another car. Someone else was going to be just like me. And I said, man, that's my car. And he was like, it's too late. Duh. I'm, obviously, there goes my car. Where are they taking it? And he told me where to go, and I was hot. I was mad. I was mad at God. I was like, here I am serving the Lord, taking my, my car. I was. I was hot. And I'm walking down, and then I'm going, oh, my goodness. I can't even imagine how much it's going to be to get my car out of this impound that they're taking it to. And so the sister that was with me, she's known me since I was a little kid. And so she was like, well, let's just, I said, I'm walking. I'm not even taking a bus. And so she was just quiet. She was like, I'm going to let this dude air out. So I started walking. We were walking, and I walked to the street walk. And then all of a sudden, as we were walking, I started looking around me. You know those cartoons where it gets dark and all you see are eyes? <laughs> I forgot there were certain streets in Manhattan, especially at that time, you didn't walk down after certain times in the night. And I was so mad, I was totally oblivious to where I was. And all of a sudden, I woke up when I saw this one dude look and step back into the doorway. And I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> I was like, I done walked. And I'm looking at, I'm on, oh, I'm on 8th Avenue. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I looked at the sister. I said, let's walk fast and not look at anyone. She was like, I'm with you. And, we, and you know what? All of a sudden, I got sharp. I got intense. My complaining stopped. I started praying. I was like, Lord, I am so sorry. I am in trouble. And can you help us make it to this police impound? All of a sudden, it, hey, when we are in the darkness, many times God will wake you up. And we got there, and then I got mad all over again, but I got over it quick. <laughs> had to pay 290 just to get my car back and still had to pay the $90 ticket. I remember that. That was probably about 30 years ago. I still remember that. Yeah. Here was my point, though. Boy, in the darkness, God gets your attention. God says, what you hear in the dark, proclaim it. What are you hearing in the darkness? The darkness of your private time or the darkness of your personal struggles that God's taking you through? Because he's saying something, and you know what he's saying. I don't know what he's saying, but you do. And he says, that, proclaim it. 
Shout it. Because you are learning something that I want everyone to know. Don't keep it to yourself. Make sure it gets out there. He said, that which is whispered. I love that. Because the only way you hear a whisper is when you are quiet. Somebody whispering in the back of the room, you want to hear, you're like, shh, shh, shh. Why? You want to hear it. You get quiet when there are someone speaking in a whisper. And for many times, God wants to speak to us intently. Boy, he'll whisper because what he is trying to tell us is, shh, quiet your life. Quiet yourself. Settle down and listen. Yeah, sometimes God has to shout, but when God shouts, it ain't pretty. It's not. But he whispers to us, and he says, in the whispering, what is whispered to you? Listen to this. He says, proclaim what you are getting in those private and intimate times. Sometimes we are seeking the will of God as if he's going to put it up on a stage, on a screen, with a platform. Most of the times, God's like, I'm trying to tell you, but you ain't quiet enough. You too busy talking. Your life is too rushed. You're not settled enough. Or for some of us, it's not dark enough yet. And I hope it doesn't have to get too dark for some of us before God is heard. So the deal is, God says, don't fear him. First one is you're just like Jesus. Second one, he knows it all. And because he knows it all, he wants you to do something with it. But the third reason not to fear, um, he says, is don't fear those who can't really do much to you eternally. And this is the one that gets hard for you and I. Why? Because Jesus said some words that might disturb some people. He says, do not fear those who can kill your body and not your soul. I don't know about you. That's, that was a little unsettling when I first started reading that. No, hold on a second, Jesus. I'm fearing the person who could kill the body. Homeboy pulls up. Don't fear the one who says, you for Christ? Really? No, no. I'm like, I'm fearing them. I, I, homeboy's got a, 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 a 57. A, a, hey, he's got a 38. A, hey, I, I'm, I'm fearing it right about now. And I'm trying to base my decisions based on the threat of death. God says, don't. And I'm telling you, that's not an easy thing to do, but it is in those dark and in those whispering times that you gain that strength. He says, listen, there will be some people that can do you bodily harm. And the implication from the text is, and I may let them. That's the implication from the text. I, how many believers in places throughout this world are being executed for their faith? Did God go on vacation? Did somehow, was God mad at them? They sinned and so he's like, no. Many of them believers are right in the center of God's will. They are loving God. They are trusting him and their lives were taken. Where was God standing right beside them? As a matter of fact, he was in them. When people say, where was God when that happened? In them. Preparing them, strengthening them, because I know we think this life is the ultimate, 
and the only thing about life is life. But God says, if the ultimate in your life is your life, you are a prisoner to life. Because everything you do will be trying to keep you alive. Because this is all there is. I'm not saying that you're living in some by and by kind of stupor, but he says that I understand that this life has its value. I understand that. But this is not the ultimate. Being in shape and getting and, 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 and having good health has its value. Don't underestimate that at all. But what happens if you stay in shape for 90 years in your life, you ate healthy, you did well, you did everything you were supposed to, and you died and lived a long age because you, you, you lived healthy. Because even if you lived the most healthy life, you're still going to die. All of us, no one has outlived that curse. And don't bring to me Elijah. No, that was God's choice, not Elijah's. And the issue was, though, you live healthy for 90 years outside of God and spend the rest of eternity apart from him. What good did it do you? 20 million years later, you just getting started being apart from God. That's what eternity is. I learned a short phrase from VeggieTales. <laughs> it talks about forever. Eternity is forever without end. Without end. Understand that. And God is helping them get the perspective. I know you will be faced with some people that could snuff out your physical life. And you will be tempted to, 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 to gear your life towards making sure that threat either doesn't happen or squashing the threat. Now, it's not saying that you don't try and squash the threat, but you don't live your life afraid to say anything for God because it might threaten my life. It might threaten my career. It might threaten my friendship base. Jesus says, I'm going to help prepare you right now. Your life is temporary. In your spirit, you go on eternally. Everyone lives forever. It's just where you're going to live forever. In the presence of God or away from the presence of God. God says everyone lives forever. The moment you were brought on this earth and created, you were created forever, eternally. And so he says to them, do not be afraid. Now, I know this is not a Sunday morning preach. Everyone gets excited, but boy, this will prepare you. Do not be afraid of, of, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and not the soul. He says that they have a limitation. I'm going, oh, thanks, God. They have a limitation to what they can do. And as a matter of fact, God says, I've designed that limitation. He says, but the reason why, he says, make sure your fear is in the right place. Reason not to fear, you have the right perspective of who to fear. Don't fear man, fear me. And the fear, he says, well, oh gosh, it's the same word. Don't fear man, fear me. Why? Not because God's going to get you. He says, I have the ability, in essence, he's saying, to destroy, to kill you. Same words he used. He was like, God would kill? <laughs> to kill both body 
and soul in hell. And he mentions it. I knew when they first heard that, they were like, what? What is he talking about? Because this is coming from the lips of Jesus himself. This is not a teaching by someone of Jesus is talking now. And so he says, you are, when you fear man, your fear is misplaced, is what he tells us. He says, because the fear should be, you should govern your life and your decisions. You should govern what you do and, and, and how you respond based on who I am, not based on who they are. And not because you walk around and God's going to get me. He says, no, since, since you are on the topic of people that have a, the ability to do you harm, don't be afraid of them. That messes with the heart of people. I know Paul probably still remembered Stephen who stood there as they stoned him. Oh, let, let, let's not make Paul some sort of robot. You know he knew. When the people said, when he stood there and he saw the Lord standing and the people saw him and they were just enraged that part of it was that he wasn't responding out of fear, crying and screaming, oh, no, please, that he was looking at the Lord while they were trying to destroy him. Oh, you know Paul remembered that. And you remember over the years, many of the people that persecuted, because I've heard stories about it, of people that have persecuted believers or that have done them in. Or the number of people, many of you, I mean, some of you will remember um, Columbine and the young woman that people talked about for years when one of the gunmen put the gun to her head and said, will you renounce Christ? And she said, no. And then he shot her and killed her. But the people around that saw that, talked about it, that in the face of her physical life ending, she stood and was like, it is not worth my eternal life. When your physical life supersedes and replaces your desire for your eternal destiny, you're in trouble. Because you will live in the temporary. I'm not saying that you have a death wish. No. You live, you, know, you live life and you enjoy what you have. You enjoy what the Lord has given, but you hold it loosely. That's what I'm saying. You hold, why? Because this is not what it's all about. But then he gives you, so he tells you, how do we handle persecution? I have the reasons not to fear. I have my fear in the right place. But then after he does that, the second part of this that he says is you need to understand the mission. First of all, don't fear them who can harm you while you're on mission for the master. Don't fear them that can harm you while you're on mission. He turns and says, let's finish by talking about this mission. And boy, what he says, it has to, what he says had to really speak to them. Before I do that, I almost forgot. Before I do that, he says, listen, so because you don't fear him, don't make them cause you to deny me. 
In other words, your fear of man will cause you to deny God. Your fear of men and women will cause you to push away from who God is. And he says, whoever denies me before men, he says, God will deny you. When he says deny, meaning you don't want to associate, you don't want Jesus because it's too tough. I don't want what it means to follow Jesus. I just want to be cool with everybody. I want to roll tight. I want to be able to have a good job. I want to be able to have my family and live someplace without having to worry about folk trying to hate me because I follow Jesus. I don't want none of that. God says, cool, you don't have to have it. But you're right, you don't have me. And when it's all said and done and when it all ends, God says, you still don't have me. And so he tells us, don't be like that. That's our warning. Don't be like that. The other warning that he gives us, too, is here's the mission. Boy, he's preparing. This is tough love. He's preparing them. He said, here's the mission. Verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. Well, wait a minute. Didn't the scripture, don't we sing that song? They say, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Hold on a second. No, you came to bring peace. He came to bring peace with God. In other words, when Christ came, he came so that you and I would be at peace with God. But he understood that all of us wouldn't want to be at peace with God. And so what would end up happening is that we will not be at peace with some people. And so on that note, he says, I did not come to bring peace. In other words, what he wants to tell you about the mission is that the mission is divisive. Well, what do you mean? I thought God wants us to be this community. He wants us to be together. He does, those in the faith, but those outside the faith, he says, those who don't want Jesus, it will divide you. No, we all just can't get along. There will be those that because they don't like me and they don't like you, you will be divided. I'm not trying to bring the world together. We need to stop that. God says, I'm trying to bring you together with God so that you live on mission, knowing that there are many people, broad is the way that leads to destruction, there are many people who will reject it. And he says, you will not be at peace with them. I did not come to bring peace on earth. Well, hold on a second. Really? And I'm wondering what they were thinking when they heard it. I didn't, I didn't come to bring peace. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Whoa, the opposite. You came to bring war. Okay. Okay, so this is a fight. I came to bring a sword, and then he gets in Lena. For I have come to set a man against his father. Hold on a second, Jesus. I thought you loved families. Family first, by the way, isn't it? No, it's God first and everyone else afterwards, including your family. Yes, God called you to take care of your family. Yes, God, you know, he called you to be responsible and to do the things that you need to. But he also knew that some of your family might not come to Jesus. And so they're going to be apart from him. And Jesus is saying, don't let your family drive you away from me. Wow. He said, don't you let your, he said, I've come to set a son against his father. You know the disrespect with that? We're talking about Middle Eastern society. We're not talking about today. People today would be like, so? 
Son again, I'm not my dad, so. No, we're talking about Middle Eastern society, that level of respect, that whole your father passed down to the son and the son respected the father and that, and that your older folks and, 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 and those in the community were highly respected and, and lifted up. And for you to disrespect usually meant you were thrown out the community. See, we don't understand that here in America because we really don't have that as a cultural trait that's strong. But when you get outside this country, that trait is strong. And he says to him, boy, I've come to set father against son. And, 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 and just in case he was, he, was, he was for men, no. He says, that's not all. He said, <clears throat> and a daughter against her mother. And folk today are saying, that's happening anyway. But no. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Folks was like, well, what's the, hey, that's happening anyway. No. He says, back here, you understand the cultural respect and the cultural dynamic. This was radical. And then he says, a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And some of you know today, boy, when you came to Christ and some in your family didn't, that it seemed to have driven a wedge and they didn't want anything to do with you. I've known of people that got thrown out of their house, that got put out. Don't come back with that God stuff. I want anything to do with you nor it. Get out. He said, no, 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 no. Jesus doesn't want me to leave my family, so I'm going to stay. I'm just not going to talk about Jesus. No, he said, you don't know Jesus then. He says, I came because the mission is divisive. In other words, what he's saying is about the mission, you need to decide your loyalties. Who are you more loyal to? Now, he's not saying that you deny your children. He's not saying that at all. What he's telling you is that I am more important than anyone else in your life. Ever, period, done. Because if anyone else replaces him, you will never be fully satisfied. There isn't a person on this planet that can carry and shoulder the weight of your satisfaction. They were never intended to. And so while you wish that girlfriend, boyfriend, that, 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 that husband, that wife, that child, if I only have a child, if I only I'm going to be happy, you won't because they were never meant to shoulder your happiness. You enjoyed the community, you enjoyed the time together, but they were never intended to replace Jesus in your life. And the moment we do it, we're dooming ourselves. Boy, the best thing we can do for our families is to, is to put them in their proper place under Jesus. And so he says to them, hey, you're going to be divided And then he gets in deep in verse 37 where he says, and whoever loves father or mother more than me, boy, this one is, this is deep, is not worthy of me. You don't even belong. He says, I demand the utmost loyalty and God's not some sort of egomaniac. He knows that's why he created you and I. He knows that's where we were meant to be. And so he takes no substitutes. He says, your friends, as much as you can hang out with them and love them, he says, they don't replace me. So when your friends start wanting you to act out differently than what I want you to do, hmm, y'all are jeopardizing our friendship. 
because I'm sticking with Jesus. I remember one time at a job, share this one carefully. I remember one time at a job, had a young lady that was, boy, and, 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 and God wised me up. Women weren't running down the street after me when I wasn't walking with God. And all of a sudden, when I'm walking with God, I've got temptation left and right. And this sister on the job just kept coming, kept coming. And finally, it was like the Lord turned on the light. I was like, hold on a second, Lord. I wasn't this attractive when I wasn't walking with you. Why all of a sudden am I now? And when breaking down the door, he was just like, ah, you aware now? You know, woke your little self up. And we had a conversation. I just, just one day, it, it, was, it was one of those conversations I had to have. And I just remember it vividly. And I said, look, 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 my sister. I said, y- y- you have put this thing that if I follow you, I am outside of God. I said, I'm sorry. I said, and so you've made a choice between you and God. And inside I was going, what am I saying? <laughs> she looked so good. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. But I was like, if I don't say it now, I'm never saying it. I'm jumping in head first, and I'm not coming up for air. And I was like, I said, you have made this a choice between you and God. And I said, whenever that happens, you always lose. And she just kind of laughed and, and, and looked at me and actually stopped bothering me. Years later, in New York, walking down the street. And I just, I, this must have been the Lord, so the grace of the Lord. Walking down the street, and I saw her. I ain't going to say her name. I remember her name. Walking down the street. I'm not here. In downtown Brooklyn has over 2 million people. Seriously. I'm in downtown Brooklyn. What are the chances of me running into her? Please. And we, walk, and we worked together in Manhattan. And, and I was in Manhattan. And we passed. And you know the first thing she said to me, boy, and had this smirk, she said, you still serving God. And I laughed and, and, and gave that smirk back and said, yes, I am. And we laughed and we joked and then we just kept going from there. And I, you know what? It was the Lord just saying, see, look at how my grace has kept you. I was like, yeah, Lord, but I was crying back then. I'm, I sure was. I was all of about 20, 21 years old. I was crying. Here is my point, though. God says, listen, boy, the mission will divide. Choose your loyalties. Who are you more loyal to? And boy, when he, when he finishes with them, he sets them up greatly. How does he set them up? He says, look, choose your loyalties. Verse 38, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I have to, have to explain that. No, we're going to have to explain that one. Understand what he's saying. He says, look, if, if, if your mentality as a follower of Christ is not, this is a cross-bearing lifestyle. I, okay, last time I checked, I know we wear them around our necks and we wear them as jewelry and stuff, but if you are put on one and have to carry your cross, that's not a cool thing. That's not a comfortable thing. 
Carrying crosses meant you were willing to put your will to death and you were dying to self in whatever situation you found yourself, whatever it was, whatever you desired. He says that you are allowing it to be put to death because of Christ. And he says, if a person is not willing to take up his cross and follow me, he's not worthy of Well, of course he isn't, because if I have a God higher than God, God is not God. And so he says, listen, if you think finding your life is apart from me, you will actually lose it. But if you think finding, but if you think losing your life in me is better, He says, you'll actually save it. You'll find what life is. You'll actually have experienced life. And then he ends it with the reward. You will be rewarded. He says, boy, I know I've given you some hard things. And he ends it in 40. You will be rewarded. Whoever receives you and whoever receives me, whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. And then he says, those, verse 41, those who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward, talking about himself. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous reward. He says, look, you will not lose your reward as you give yourself and give of yourself because of me. God says, I notice it. You are valuable. What we didn't talk about earlier is that you are more valuable than sparrows. He says, he says, look, can't you buy two sparrows for a penny? That was a pretty cheap bird. And he said, you can get a two for, you can get two for one. And he says, none of them die unless I know about it. And he says, you are much more valuable than many sparrows. He says, so I know where you are. I know who you are. I know what you're going through. I know what you're struggling through. Even if I allow it, I know it. It's by design. I'm not asleep. I'm not out to lunch. I'm not vindictive. I'm not mad at you. I may have to discipline you, but I'm not trying to just be mad at you. He says, what I'm doing is planning your life. And so he goes, so choose. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to follow? And boy, what a way to end that. I'm like, okay, that would have set the crowd straight. You know it was quiet. Because now you got to choose. And every day we have to choose. Who are we going to listen to? This isn't just a one-time thing. Every day we choose. When we get up, we choose what we're going to do, how we're going to think, how we're going to respond. Some days, boy, are great. Some days we blow it, but we come back to the Father. We go, God, let me recalibrate. Let me, boy, let me get back on track. Let me, let me do this right because right now my priorities are out of whack. I've had times my priorities have been all over the place. And God's, Curtis, where are your loyalties? And God, I know I've been hurting and struggling because they weren't you. And he calls us to himself, and he sends us out from himself. Who are you going to follow? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us of your word. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is the perfect son.